Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Talitha Towers Foundation has supported our nation's heroes and their families ever since. Heroes like Marine Corps Sergeant Adam Mayo. He served our nation for over seven years before he was severely injured during training. He was left paralyzed from the chest down, severely limiting his ability to move around his home independently. Talitha Towers paid Sergeant Mayo's mortgage, removing a financial burden for him and his family. The foundation gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his specific needs. Tunnel to Towers helps severely injured service members and first responders, as well as Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders. It has already come to the aid of so many heroes and their families by providing mortgage-free homes. The foundation is also committed to eradicating veteran homelessness. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that has historically delivered sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. Hey, it's Wilfred O. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. We've got our friend Oren McIntyre on this episode. He does a great podcast. He's at The Blaze. You should check out uh, everything that he is up to over there. Mr. Oren, appreciate you coming back. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again. So uh, recently, there's this big decision that comes down on affirmative action. And, and one of the most interesting things about it, I think, is um, something that you and I have talked about off air, which is that the institutions that are affected by this are largely taking the attitude of, oh, it's unconstitutional. Whatever. We'll still do it. <laughs> we'll still find a way. What What's going on there? What does that tell us? Yeah, you could see right away that Harvard immediately responded by just saying, oh, that's nice. Uh, We'll comply with this and immediately pointed to what it sees as a loophole in the ruling 
where yes, technically you can no longer evaluate students solely based on their race or give, you know, give them explicit additional points for that kind of admission. But you can uh, think about that when they are justifying kind of the things they've overcome. And so there's still this loophole of, okay, well, as long as they maybe put in an essay or they explain it as part of, you know, how they fought back against oppression, that kind of thing, then you can consider it. You just can't put it directly into, say, uh, what kind of SAT or ACT score is accepted. I mean, I feel like the the uh, takeaway from all this is that the only way this really changes is that now there's at least a, a constitutional precedent handed down by the court here in terms of the interpretation of it that will allow for um, more lawsuits. You know, what you had at this point was uh, the court seemed divided at the lower level, had to make its way all the way up. So I suppose now you just have to be able to get the data um, to see that the same discrimination, racial discrimination, that's what this is, everybody. Um, that's what the courts were doing. That same discrimination would uh, continue on. And so I feel like there have to be uh, many more lawsuits. Like, basically, this is the start of stopping the affirmative action regime. It's not like this switches it all overnight. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is the the beginning of the war, not the end of it. It simply allows it to take place. Like you said, a lot of these institutions are already changing. They, they already saw this coming. This this ruling was predicted uh, for a while. And so a lot of these institutions had already decided to move to more of an essay-based admission as opposed to a, 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 a test score admission. And that's because the data becomes much harder. Then you can kind of fudge everything. You can still apply the same biases, but you can do so without it being easily numerically quantifiable. Of course, the the ruling itself actually explicitly says they can't do that, like says you cannot resubstantiate this, uh, you know, this regime kind of just under a different way, just just with uh, essays or something instead of test scores. But it's very clear, again, from the messages that places like Harvard sent that they intend to do so. And so the big question is going to be follow through so often, especially on the right we see, you know, the, the base sees an election or a Supreme Court ruling or maybe a piece of legislation pass and say, oh, great, the battle's won. I can go back to grilling. I can go back to raising my family and go back, you know, to just, you know, being a normal citizen. But that's actually not what happens immediately afterwards. That ruling does not enforce itself. And if you don't have the mechanisms, if you don't have the institutions that are going to go after these people, if you don't have lawsuits, if you don't have a DOJ, obviously our current DOJ is not going to do that. But, you know, if, if you don't have a Trump or DeSantis DOJ later on that starts pushing this kind of stuff, AGs, all that stuff, if they don't follow up, then none of this actually happens. It's just a ruling that's dead in the water. It also strikes me that given the arguments that were made in that uh, blockbuster decision six three striking down affirmative action is unconstitutional in college admissions. Um, how is it that we can still have racial preferences in hiring and racial preferences in government contract uh, government contracts being given out to people? Do you, do you know what I mean? It seems to me like all this all the same arguments apply about all of this. Yeah, that's why this was such a huge ruling. It's not just the college admissions, though. Obviously, that is a huge one because for better or for worse, admission to college, especially the Ivy League, is kind of the elite signaler in our society, getting that credential. I mean, you may be learning nothing there. You might just be getting some kind of gender studies trash degree. But just by having that credential, suddenly you're part of the elite, you're part of the ruling class, you, you've kind of got the golden ticket. And so the fact that that was racially biased, that that was particularly bent towards specific races was a huge deal. 
But like you said, this regime, this uh, affirmative action policy, you know, moves far beyond the academic sphere. It, it impacts everything in our society, especially when it comes to jobs and these kind of things. And so if this ruling applies there, then you would imagine the logic would travel to all these other institutions. But again, that can't happen without lawsuits that can't happen without follow through legal pressure. I mean, state legislatures need to start banning uh, affirmative action. Governors need to be passing, uh, you know, uh, all, whatever they can to make it clear that this won't be allowed in their states. This, this has to be a follow through on every level that enables these different operatives, these different lawyers, uh, these different attorneys general to make, kind of make this move. Uh, hopefully once you get a Republican one in there, that will actually put the pressure not just on schools, but on other institutions like corporations. Did you find that the the arguments uh, that that came across from the uh, a couple of the of the liberal justices who just you know dissented from this ruling? There are three of them, but you know two in particular were really upset by this. It was interesting to see they they really couldn't hide the the emotional impact that this has uh, on them specifically, but also I, I would assume more broadly for people that really support this regime. And that the argument really seems to just be some version of we really like this and life is unfair and it's unfair for minorities, but only some minorities. And so it should continue just because we like it. I mean, I, I don't really understand when I read through the dissents, it didn't really feel like there was an argument. It just felt like there's a lot of racism and this helps with the racism because we say so. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, you almost kind of have to respect the honesty there. Finally, uh, we're not hiding behind any kind of legal tricks here. It's just the fact that this works well for the Democratic coalition. This gives bennies to people that we like. These are the people who vote for us or the people we identify with. And this benefits them. And therefore, it should stay in place because we like it. And to be fair, this community has been told from time in memoriam by the Democrats that this is the only system that holds them in place. This is the only way they could possibly get ahead or stay even, even, you know, at all. And so that if it ever was removed, then it's a catastrophe. And all of a sudden, you know, these different minority communities will just kind of fall by the wayside. I mean, the whole point of affirmative action, the way it was sold to people in theory, was that it was a temporary fix to kind of address the fact that some people had not had a fair shake historically in the United States. But if that doesn't come with an expiration date, then all you're doing is creating a new, different type of uh, systemic racism. It's just now targeting people like whites and Asians as opposed to other minority groups. And you can't keep that in place forever. But these people were told that, you know, that is essential, you know, that this is basically the only way that you can participate in society, which should be kind of insulting. But I guess for some, you know, that is uh, something they've taken as gospel. Did you see there was a there was a tweet that came out that went uh, quite quite viral from a Democrat activist? Uh, I'm trying. To, I'm actually I'm actually going to pull this one up. Her name is Erica Marsh, proud Democrat, former field organizer for Biden. She, her, of course, you yeah. know, because we have to know that one. Um, but she had this tweet that's got, gotten seen millions of times, and this was the day that the decision came out. Her tweet was. Today's Supreme Court decision is a direct assault, I'm sorry, a direct attack on black people. No black person will be able to succeed in a merit-based system, which is exactly why affirmative action-based programs were needed. Today's decision is a travesty. 
uh, like 10 million views of this, basically. This this has just gone completely viral. The Democrat. Yeah. And I do think it raises some very, uh, very uncomfortable questions about Democrats, what they really think in the affirmative action regime. I mean, you kind of keep running into this. Oh, it doesn't change the standards. But if you change the standards, then you won't have black and Hispanic students getting into these schools. Or you know what I mean? Like if you don't have the standards changing, they won't get in, but it doesn't change the standards. And if you don't change the standards, they can't get in in the numbers. And I mean, in her case, she said that not, like none of them, which is insane. But there's a problem here, right? The argument has a problem. Yeah, obviously, it's it's a pretty awkward uh, argument to make if you know if you're on that side. But at the same time, you have to remember the Democrats do get like 90 percent of the black vote on a regular basis. Right. So for better, or for worse, this is an argument that seems to be routinely winning people over to that side. I don't know what that says about how people feel about their opportunity inside the United States. But it's obviously not a narrative that can survive if you're going to have a society with any form of kind of racial harmony. You have a group that's being told all of the time that if there's not this artificial system elevating them, then they have no hope inside a meritocracy. And the group continually and regularly votes for the people who tell them that, which is a pretty terrible feedback loop. I want to ask in a moment here, Oren, if we are in a place where increasingly uh, conservatives point to the Constitution and the response, whether overt or or more subtle in the background from democrats and the left is so what uh and how that how that is manifesting itself in our our institutions and and in our day-to-day life here um so we'll get back to that in just a second but first off everybody there are a few sensations that are better than feeling like you have the energy to take on the world and win that comes from having energy and feeling as strong as you do at 9 p.m as you do at 9 a.m and for guys A big part of this is having the proper levels of testosterone. That doesn't come from just a cup of coffee or getting a three-day weekend in. It comes from uh, fueling your body with the right stuff. Chalk's Male Vitality Stack has those ingredients. In fact, studies show the leading ingredient in Chalk's Male Vitality Stack can replenish 20% of your testosterone in just three months' time. You'll feel the positive results long before the 90-day mark of this new day regime that includes Chalk's all-natural ingredients. Chalk's daily supplements are lab lab tested twice for purity and potency. You'll find them online at chalk.com. That's spelled C-H-O-Q.com. Save 35% off the Chalk subscription you choose for life when you use my name, Buck, in your purchase process. That's Chalk, C-H-O-Q.com, and the name Buck for 35% off. So... Does it even really matter when we win these Supreme Court decisions? I mean, do you look at... uh, D.C. Heller, for example, D.C.V. Heller, and and you look at this, and there, I think there are others that would come to mind right away where we say, okay, so this is the law, and then the left just figures out ways to say, well, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to enforce it? Yeah, I think that's an increasingly difficult problem for conservatives to address because, again, they do feel like, okay, well, we won the constitutional argument. Uh, we, we got the judges appointed. They ruled in our favor. Uh, we got the president elected. Uh, We got this piece of legislation passed. And obviously, from here on out, now that this is the law, the Constitution says you have to follow it and we'll be fine. But that's not what actually happens. Right. Over and over again, we see, uh, you know, things like the executive branch just ignore executive orders from Donald Trump. Right. They they just don't care. 
Barack Obama says, hey, I'm going to have this dear colleague letter. All of a sudden, everybody uh, has let guys use the girls bathroom and it happens overnight in a snap. Trump says, hey, uh, you can't do affirmative. You can't rather you can't do uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion training in the executive branch and members of the executive branch to say, so what? I'm going to keep doing it. Right. And the problem is that the the Democrats, whether you like it or not, ha- understand that at the end of the day, it's about political will and not just laws on paper. Laws on paper might be good, but really they're only enforced if people who, in, who are in positions of power believe in them and whether the people around them hold them to account. And so the Democrats have been playing this game for a long time with sanctuary cities and states and those kind of things that just completely ignore the dictates of you know, the Constitution, laws, you know, Supreme Court rulings, those kind of things. And Republicans are going to have to learn this trick because we're already seeing, for instance, uh, different courts that are trying to strike down these no grooming laws, these laws that ban uh, child mutilation inside states that we call, uh, you know, uh, sexual transition, gender transition. And states are trying to knock these down. At some point, Republican governors are just going to have to pull the same trick, call the bluff and say, OK, you have that ruling now enforce it. Yeah, it does seem like the the left is much more comfortable with uh, de facto nullification of Supreme Court decisions. That's for sure. They just decide, yeah, well, w- what are you really going to do about it? Um, they certainly do this on Second Amendment issues where they blatantly violate the Constitution and their attitude. This is true in New York City, for example, on um, handgun permitting. Uh, their Their attitude is, yeah, we know what we're doing is a violation of your rights, but it's going to take you five, maybe ten years to even get supreme court to look at this so in the meantime we get to just violate your rights get what we want as a policy matter no one's going to stop us from it in a blue state like new york and tough you know that that really is the attitude they take that's what they do yeah and and unfortunately it's a winning strategy when you have uh kind of moral visions that are so incredibly divergent in the united states it really is just the case that the people who again care more about winning are just going to beat those who are playing by the rules, playing by procedure. Now, that just means that Republicans have to understand that you're in the same position. If your state legitimately passes a regulation that says, sorry, we don't mutilate children here, then it doesn't really matter what a judge says if they're lying about the Constitution. You just kind of have to be like, okay, well, we're still not going to do that. And uh, unless, you know, no one's going to come and force us to mutilate these kids. So we're just not going to allow that to happen under our watch. It's not the way that you want a republic to, to, to run. It's not how rule of law is supposed to work. But once one side has kind of broken this compact, you can't just sp- sit around pointing and sputtering, right? That, that doesn't work. Oh, they're the real hypocrites. You know, no, that, that, that doesn't do anything. They keep winning. You keep staring and gawking and it only moves leftward. Uh, I want to ask you, Oren, about, you mentioned this, uh, but the fight to protect children from the push of uh, Drag Queen Story Hour for kids and also surgery for kids, transgender surgery, hormone blockers, all the stuff, uh, trans ideology, and how this is going uh, now to the state level. It may eventually make its way to the Supreme Court. We'll get to that in just a moment. You know, your computer can be your best tool or your worst nightmare, depending on whether it crashes or not rare that if that it does but when your computer does get corrupted or just plain stop working life can grind to a halt for that reason alone you have to back up all of the data on your computer you can't leave that to chance iDrive provides the easiest most economical solution for this start backing up your computer data with them today while you're thinking about this one iDrive.com is where you start 
You don't need any equipment. There's nothing to purchase in that way. iDrive software starts backing up your data while you're online working away at whatever keeps you busy in your computer. That's because iDrive software works in the background. It's safe and secure. Their cloud-based computers store your data with military-grade encryption. No one except you is going to access it, and you can get it when you need it most, anytime, anywhere. iDrive is the easiest, most secure backup cloud solution. Plans start at less than $7 a month. Use my name, Buck, as the promo code at checkout for 90% off that for the first year. That's iDrive.com iDrive.com, promo code BUCK, you'll get 90% off your first year. Uh, so we have a number of states, in that are passing laws that say that children should uh, should not be subjected to hormone blockers or uh, transgender surgery, which they're now calling gender affirmation surgery, which is itself a propaganda term. Um, I've already seen at least one, is it one? Maybe there are more judges have said, no, you can't do that. Which, I mean, this is how crazy things go. They start doing something that's never been done before. The state says, you know what, we're, we're actually not going to allow that. And now you've got federal judges who are effectively saying, no, there's a, a, a basic constitutional right for a 12-year-old to cut off his genitals. I mean, that's, that's what these judges are doing. Yeah, absolutely. The, these, these judges know that they can't allow states to stand in the way of the civil rights revolution. They've decided that this is the new... Uh, civil rights movement. This is the new frontier of the civil rights revolution. And they're going to be the guys who kind of push this through. Don't let those, those ugly bigoted States stand in the way of, you know, the mutilation of 12 year olds. And, and it's just insane. We've seen this across the board, right? We, over the weekend, we had footage coming from these pride parades, like the, I believe the one in Seattle where grown men are just completely exposing themselves, riding bicycles around as part of the parade, waving their junk in front of crowds full of children and uh, last time I checked, that's illegal, right? Like, like no one, we didn't, we didn't get rid of, you know, indecent exposure laws. That's supposed to put you on some sex offender, sex offender registry list. And yet these people are doing it on a regular basis with no fear from law enforcement, no expectation that they'll be arrested, no expectation that they'll be prosecuted. And this is a huge problem. Like the, the, this cannot be allowed in the United States. We cannot let some kind, you know, de jure, all this stuff is illegal. But de facto, this has all been legalized. And the the even the police officers know this because they would never interrupt what has basically become like a state-sanctioned, you know, uh, religious ritual in which these guys expose themselves to children. You know, I think depending on the jurisdiction we're talking about, in um, some of them, they might have even made nudity public nudity no longer illegal i think that may be the case in seattle or or san francisco so i i approach it from the perspective of it's not even just a function of law it's a function of what's what is decent you know what is uh something that should that should be exposed to kids and and shouldn't and I, i also just i have to wonder what does being naked like what does what does waving your genitalia around as a man or as a woman in a parade have to do with basic uh, human, you know, human rights and dignity and pride and whatever. Like, what, what, what is with? And I'm not not just the nudity. We can take a little beyond this. Why were there all these pride parades? And this is every year. This is not. I used to live right next to the pride parade route in New York City, so I have seen this firsthand many, many times. There's a lot of like sex toys and bondage gear and all this stuff. People, you know, this isn't common outside of the. LGBTQIA plus 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 activist community. Like what is going on? 
Yeah, that's kind of the amazing thing, right? Uh, guys like uh, George Takei jumped on Twitter after this footage went wide and said, oh, well, you know, these people, they were going to yell about pride anyway. They were going to try to ban pride anyway. So there's no reason to self-censor. And it's like, what part of this is about self-expression? What part of this is censorship? You being asked to wear pants around children is somehow a repression of your ability to express yourself. What about it is, uh, you know, is so important to you that this happens? And I think the answer is these are sexual identities by their very nature. Like that, that's what these identities mean. And so when people are saying, well, you know, displays of this stuff uh, are essential and center to our identity, you might just need to listen to what they're saying and then realize that this no child should ever be around this stuff. There, there were a few years ago, the idea that a child would go to a pride parade would have been insane. Everybody knew what these things were. They were no holds barred type of Mardi Gras things. Now, a lot of us didn't like that, but at the very least you could make a case that at least it was adults only. And we understood that everyone there was kind of of a specific age and had made a decision, that kind of thing. But that is obviously not the case now. But the, the fact that we have to have this argument, the fact that there's any debate around the issue that a child should be at an event that is explicit, explicitly sexual in nature and always has been really shows you that kind of everything that was predicted by the religious right in like the 1980s was pretty much entirely correct. And it's come to pass. Yes, it, uh, the slope is quite slippery. Yeah. Um, this is uh, something that we're seeing in, in a lot of aspects in society. Um, speaking of which, the the feeling we have right now around Bud Light and the awakened right when it comes to wokeness in corporate America, I want to ask you, don't answer it yet, uh, Oren. We're, you, you know this business. We're calling this a tease. But I'm going to come back in a second here, and I want you to tell me, are we seeing something that we should celebrate in the sense that it's we're putting wins on the board? Or should or should we be more depressed that it took Bud Light putting a trans influencer out to effectively, you know, uh, insult the entire Bud Light audience with with politicization that they didn't ask for? Is that just showing us that we're defending on our own five yard line, so to speak? Right. Like, wh- which one is it? I want you to answer that one for me in a second. When we come back. Famed economist and bestselling author Nomi Prince is out with a new warning. She says a small group of financial elites are plotting a drastic action unlike anything we've seen since 1971. The White House, the World Economic Forum, even Bill Gates are all involved. According to her research, your ability to spend, borrow, save, and invest could soon be restricted with the push of a button. Our financial system is about to be transformed in a way that would have been unthinkable just a few years ago, and it all starts in July. Bank of America is calling it inevitable. You've got any money in a U.S. bank account or retirement plan. Get all the facts at disappearingdollar.com. You may not like what Dr. Prince has to say, but at the very least, you'll be prepared when events take a turn for the worst. Disappearingdollar.com. Again, that's disappearingdollar.com. Go there now. Paid for by Rogue Economics. All right, Oren. Um, are, are, we, are we making headway or are we making a goal line stand in the war on corporate wokeness? I think this is definitely a goal line stand. Like you said, the fact that a a product like Bud Light that obviously has the audience that it does, the core audience that it has, 
decided to go ahead and make this move is a problem. Also, you have the fact like, let's not forget where this whole Bud Light thing came from. Yes, we we remember it now because they had Dylan Mulvaney in a can. But right before that, a trans shooter murdered six people, three of them children at a Christian school. And another trans uh, shooter was stopped in Colorado Springs, who was also planning to shoot up middle schools and churches. That's when this happened. This happened right after they, they right after this, while the president of the United States, instead of talking about Christians or, or the, the terrible thing that happened to the school was praising the trans community. Madonna was talking about raising money, not for the murdered family, you know, the family of the murdered children or for the school that was impacted, but for the trans community. And at, during all of this stuff, while, while the bodies were still being buried, Bud Light decided to slap Dylan Mulvaney on a can because it was Pride Month and or Pride Month was coming rather, and it didn't matter, right? It didn't matter what had actually happened in the world. We were going to celebrate Pride Month, even if these children had just been murdered by a trans shooter. That's the beginning. That's the genesis of this. It's sad that this had to be worked out over a beer can, but at the very least, it's a win. I think it is a win. I think people did wake up, and I think it's because there was a cultural aspect to this, right? You could look at your buddy across the bar and be like, really, man, Bud Light, you're that guy? And all of a sudden, that meme of, oh, that's the trans beer, was much more effective than any particular political you know, argument. Memes are just way more powerful than logical arguments. And I think that's why this was such a big win. Now, it's still at its beginning stages. You're, you're still only seeing these people lose some money. You're not making the big gains. Big gains come when institutions change. So I think the big thing will be, can that populist you know, meme energy be transferred over into long-term institutional success? If the answer is yes, then I think this is a win. As, as you and I sit here speaking, the manifesto of the trans shooter in Nashville is still something that has been uh, kept from the public. Um, there has been many months now. I've never seen this happen before. And I, I think that you speak about institutions. What are people supposed to think when something like this happens and the system decides that the motivation of a mass murderer, a murder of children should not be publicly known because it may very well be very politically damaging to the left. Yeah. You remember like right after this, all of a sudden there were a bunch of brown white supremacists who showed up. Uh, there, there's that guy who like drove towards the white house and he had a neatly folded uh, kind of Nazi flag, even though he's like an Indian immigrant and, and this kind of thing. Amazingly, like all of their ideologies were immediately displayed. All of their motivations were immediately known and made public and, and they were decried and, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, called the, the, the biggest problem in America by the president and everyone else. But this manifesto can't come out, right? Th- this motive can't be known. And everyone knows why. Everybody understands the answer here, even if they're not going to say it out loud. One of these things is politically useful to the system, to the regime, and one of them is not. Everyone knows what's in that manifesto, or at least to some degree what's probably in that manifesto. And everyone knows why it can't get out. Because if it got out while people were still angry, while people were still shocked and devastated, then they might have the political will to do something about it. But if you wait long enough until nobody's really paying attention again, you know, the, 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 the fervor has died down and nobody really remembers why you were, you know, uh, boycotting Bud Light in the first place. Well, then maybe you can start sneaking that stuff in. It won't be such a big deal. Oren, uh, where should people go to 
listen to your podcast, read your work? What's the best place? Sure, absolutely. I'm over on Blaze TV. Of course, you can read my columns at at the Blaze, and then you can subscribe to the podcast. I'm on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, all those sites. But you can also get to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It's the Oren McIntyre Show. Oren, always illuminating. Thanks for making the time for us. Good to see you. Thanks for having me, man. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has supported our nation's heroes and their families ever since. Heroes like Marine Corps Sergeant Adam Mayo. He served our nation for over seven years before he was severely injured during training. He was left paralyzed from the chest down, severely limiting his ability to move around his home independently. Tunnel to Towers paid Sergeant Mayo's mortgage, removing a financial burden for him and his family. The foundation gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his specific needs. Tunnel to Towers helps severely injured service members and first responders, as well as Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders. It has already come to the aid of so many heroes and their families by providing mortgage-free homes. The foundation is also committed to eradicating veteran homelessness. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that has historically delivered sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.